This is Factual America. I'm your host, Matthew Sherwood. Each week I watch a hit documentary and then talk with the filmmakers and their subjects. McEnroe is an intimate portrait of one of the most explosive and compelling sporting icons of all time. Set over one New York night, the film takes us on a journey into John's memory to explore why a need for connection drove his tennis career while nearly breaking him in the process. Director Barney Douglas joins us to talk about what it is like trying to get inside the head of this tennis icon. Stay tuned. Barney, welcome to Factual America. How are things with you? All good. Thank you very much. Good to be good to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on. As our listeners and viewers uh, hopefully know, we're listening to the intro. We're talking about McEnroe. Uh, premiered in 2022, although I guess it dropped on Sky earlier this month. Is that right? That is right. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, I think. So oh. um, yeah, good to get it into British audiences who <laughs> missed it in who missed it in the cinema. Which is yeah, cool. it's it's interesting because you look up the like any reviews or anything, they're all like from several months ago. But yeah, no, it's great to <laughs> great. It's a, you had the theatrical release as you mentioned, and uh, if I'm not incorrect you three sports emmys i think and nominated yeah, yeah. Four, and you won one for editing so congratulations yeah, on that yeah no that was great um, a surprise but um really really lovely i guess you never expect to you don't go into a film looking to sort of win awards or anything so it's always nice to get a bit of recognition um and uh yeah really good night at the emmys in in new york and um yeah. it's surprisingly it's interesting i shouldn't disrespect the trophy but it does fit a uh a pint of Guinness perfectly in the, in the top. So oh, it was a does good, it? Good, good celebration <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> so for all our aspiring Emmy winners out there, just keep that in mind. Uh, it has dual, dual purpose, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like the... Uh, the uh, well, what's what's the uh, the Stanley Cup in hockey? They do that. They fill it with uh, champagne and people. Yes, there you go. Yeah, there traditional you go. winners. Winners to, to keep, uh, to keep the sports analogies going. So um, no, I can very well understand. Now, having seen the film, I can very well understand why it got nominated and won some awards at uh, the Emmys because it's not your typical. I would say not your typical sports doc. So maybe for those who haven't had a chance to see it, uh, what is well. I think we know what it's about, but tell us what McEnroe is all about, this film at least, and uh, maybe a synopsis. Yeah. Well, I tried, I guess, to do a portrait of getting inside a bit more of his psyche than we'd be used to seeing. Um, and obviously, it was a kind of document of his life as well um, and his sporting career. But for me, it's always about the human story. I always felt like, what didn't we know about John? You know, we, right. plenty of people are aware that he's an angry tennis player, um, you know, and that was the, the, and aware of the surname. And that was, I guess, the extent for some people. So it was about getting under the skin of him a bit more and just showing him from different perspectives and trying to understand where his behavior came from, um, how good a player he was, which I think was often forgotten in latter years. Um, and then trying to kind of wrap that into a kind of feature film of 90 minutes that felt cinematically like you had a natural end point as well. So the very short basic premise is John's sort of a night in New York with John McEnroe, really, sort of from dusk till dawn, um, him kind of drifting back into memory and, and trying to explore, I guess, the way he is, you know, why he is. He's kind of an interrogation of himself, really. Um, and yeah, shot in a way that as you say, is not your traditional sports doc, trying to make it much more of a kind of cinematic experience and a, hmm. and a film experience rather than just go, oh, here's a sports dog and let's reel out some talking heads type thing. Yeah, and some archive and let it, yeah. let it run, run with that. Yeah. But uh, I mean, I mean, I, I imagine a, 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 
a true night out with McEnroe, John McEnroe, would be quite incredible. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, unfortunately, it was it was made during the the pandemic, so we were obviously a little bit more more restricted um, than we than we would have been. But it sort of gives it this kind of slightly isolated, kind of empty cityscape, which in itself I think brought an evocative atmosphere to the film. But absolutely right, a night with John, I think. Um, on the on the Guinness is probably something quite different. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you what goes on in in, in John McEnroe's head? I mean, oh wow! I mean, what doesn't? I think. Well, I, I can give you an insight into, I guess, the interview process because I think for John, his his brain goes in all different directions almost simultaneously. So right. you could ask a question like, and do you think it's fairly straightforward? And it would start with an answer about that and then segue into something else and then from there that's a doorway into something else and before you know it you're kind of three streets away from the original the original question so right. i think the challenge with john was kind of getting his energy down yeah. and then and trying to get into a slightly more um i guess reflective mood where you would get the answers to the questions you, you were looking for um but yeah his head goes at it's very analytical yeah very um very sharp very um quite i would say skeptical in a way i think he's mm. can be quite guarded um but at the same time he's very authentic so mm. he doesn't there's nothing machiavellian about McEnroe for for good or bad you know he will right. he'll be very true to to how he feels um and that's actually becomes quite a very endearing quality and and obviously for a documentary maker that's also quite a blessing as well I mean, as Patty Smythe, I think, mentions early on in the doc, I mean, she relays a story, but basically he's, he's kind of hardwired this way. I guess we're all hardwired <laughs> in certain ways, but he's certainly this way. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's kind of what the, the film sort of lays out, I guess, some of the evidence to, to kind of back up that she thinks, you know, he's potentially neurodivergent or there's something going on there that was that's never really been um, diagnosed. And he, I mean, he doesn't care about that at all. He's, it's not... You know, it's it's other people around him. I guess that you know, that obviously, Patty, his wife, has been with him over twenty five years now, so she sort of knows him better than anyone. Um, but I guess it's her and the kids that I guess have right. had to navigate that. But for John himself, I mean, he just he's not not too worried. <laughs> but I do think it does explain a lot of his a lot of his behaviour, definitely. Well, right, because I think some would probably think based on. I mean, this goes back many years, you know, yeah. his behavior on the court when he was in his late teens and early 20s, that, he's a, that he's a troubled soul or super brat, as he was called here in the yeah. UK. But it, did you find him that way, really? Um, no, I think we got him at a good stage of life. I think he has, yeah. has matured and mellowed. Uh, um, so from that perspective, I think it's uh, it was a good time to speak to him. Um, but there's definitely... A trigger in him i think there's definitely um mm. there's certain things that that set him off there's timekeeping or having things time being wasted mm. not being clearly told what's happening and why and when you start to kind of experience this while making a film you start to understand why say umpires and things he could never he struggled right. with because a he saw the court quite mathematically and in dimen dimensions and if yeah. they didn't see it the same way he struggled to understand that and secondly, if he's not being listened to, he doesn't have to be agreed with, but if he's not being listened to, right. um, that, that troubles him as well. Um, and I do think certainly from a young age, he's found it difficult to socially connect mm. with other people. 
in a way that other people may find acceptable. So uh, I think that sort of becomes clear. And I think you see that in his relationship with his father as well. Like it's, mm. and they've always, the, the way they found a kind of a common language, I suppose, was through his success in tennis. Um, and when that wasn't there, I think that they struggled, certainly. Mm. Um, what was the substance, you know, be, beyond that, really? You know, it's a, you raise a couple of interesting because I think in that same thing about what goes on in his mind and how he, yeah. how he sees things, um, uh, it came out, and that I hadn't, I hadn't realized this, but he basically, he had no control over those, he, well, at least 90% of those outbursts <laughs> is what he says. Yeah. yeah, I think there's an element of, there definitely was an element of he's a performer, he's an entertainer, he likes... Right. He likes the battle. He likes the crowd. It's the New York mm. kind of perspective. And in London, obviously, in Wimbledon in particular, and I think even you could compare it to sort of test cricket of that age as well. You know, like mm. it's very considered and you respect and all this kind of right, stuff. Right, Whereas right. he came from a New, New Yorker perspective where it was like crowds and yelling and throwing stuff and like, come on, and getting everyone up for it. So there was a cultural difference, which he definitely enjoyed. Um but I think a large element was absolutely, yeah, it was just, just in him. That's just, that's just the way his brain worked. It was also the, the household he was kind of brought up in. And, yeah. and um, he wasn't able to control it, certainly at a younger age, a lot of the time, I think. Um, mm. But it's interesting because, as you say, like the way he just had this mathematical analysis of the court and his brain, he was ex extremely good at maths and his brain would do this do the equations and do the so he'd know if it was in or not like he would know and he couldn't understand other people didn't right. see it the same way <laughs> right well this also yeah no, no yeah, yeah well, exactly not and also, to excuse some of his behavior by the way i think you know he, sometimes he was just being an idiot so you know yeah well it, well indeed and i think you're i think it's a very fair portrayal because i do i'm of an age and i remember sort of I mean, certainly the difference between London and New York in the 70s and early 80s was, well, was yeah. stark compared to what it is now. But uh, but at the same time, you know, and so a lot of excuses were made and he was like, you're kind of... Actually, as you point out, he wasn't the original punk tennis player, really. No. There were plenty others before him, you know, Connors and Gerolitis and others. But uh, um, but he doesn't suffer fools lightly. And I, that kind of goes back to this point you were saying about the father-son relationship. I mean, this is... Mm. Uh, uh, your film focuses a lot on that. Um, he was such a perfectionist on the court, and maybe maybe you can say a little bit more about about that and why that yeah. drove so much of the film. I think um, it was an angle that had never really been explored. Obviously, there's been lots of TV features about John and um, another great documentary, The Realm of Perfection, which is much much more focused on, I guess, his on court. Right um performances um so i kind of wanted to get into go further and deeper and get into the kind of much more of the human elements of john um because i just felt that there was something unexplored there and it wasn't something we necessarily necessarily set out with regards to his father but it just sort of seemed to emerge and, and i spent a couple of days on the master interview and it was only by the last almost like the last hour of the second day where he'd finally wow. calmed down and it became very introspective and almost, almost like a kind of therapy session and that's when more of the father's stuff started to emerge um and it just felt like really core like part of the heart of the film really because he, obviously him john now being a father himself and and struggling a bit with relationships with his own children you know this this theme of connection and i guess unresolved grief for his own dad and not quite understanding why he couldn't have the bond that he wanted and 
now he was trying to make sure that he would have the bond with his own children and not to make the same mistakes. That to me felt a very universal theme. It wasn't about tennis at all. It wasn't really about the sport. It was actually just about very human themes. And that's, for me, therefore, as a filmmaker, I was always much more, I guess, drawn to that. And that's why that became mm. central to the film. Um, I think his dad was obviously a, uh, worked so hard all his life. Um, big, gregarious, sort of larger than life character um and probably struggled to understand john maybe as a younger younger boy um and as a result when he was showing success on the court that was something that they bonded over and um obviously john senior got involved as manager and agent uh, and all this kind of stuff and it just the relate the relationship i guess became a business relationship essentially yeah, yeah. um and then later in life when john wanted more Think that created conflict because he kind of basically yeah sort of said to his dad step away from the management let's yeah. let's try and build our own relationship and that really didn't didn't go down very well so a lot of unresolved pain yeah. there and i and I, for me that felt very as i say human and unique to the to the story and would take it somewhere away from what people would probably expect i think yeah, and, yeah that was interesting to me it's an interesting point i mean we've had um we had the filmmaker R.J. Cutler on here actually a couple of mm. times, but he mentioned in in when we were talking about Belushi, the the doc he did that uh, yeah. he um and he then mentioned someone else who I can never remember who it is, but some historian or some big name professor of the time, but basically said if you want to know the man, go to the daddy, basically. And, right. Okay. And, you know, so it's an interesting. I'm not saying that's always <laughs> the case. Well, I don't know, but it it's certainly. Uh, tried and true i think it, it is an interesting perspective to bring to it um, it's certainly yeah it certainly is and it was just um as i say then with john's own children it, it, for me yeah. it was interesting that kind of battle that he was having to try and not make the same mistakes you know and yeah. it became for me a little bit i mean when i sort of sit back i sort of think oh, it's a little bit of a when john subsequently watched it it's a little bit of a parable for him and right. a kind of war like a little warning for him almost this kind of time capsule of like you know you still you don't have to necessarily go down the same route as your own your own dad you can kind of and that's i think what he's working really hard mm -hmm. to do and and to make sure and patty's i think very important in that she yeah. um she guides him quite a bit i think which helps him a lot mm. and i think uh i mean that one th I, I just thinking out loud i just because i was a kid when he pretty small kid but you know when he's really hit big and but he was mm -hmm. you know tennis was just everywhere at the time and you know he, he, these guys are celebs and gods and they're on all the 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 tabloids and everything but uh i don't know i'd have to go back but i don't know if there was any tennis stars before him that had their parents always in the friends box you know you Ooh, know that, I mean, that's a good question actually I mean, he mm. was such, they were, I mean, if you were watching Macro, you always knew you were going to see John Sr. And, and his mother there at the court, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's, I, mean, this, I was, it's, it's like they're sitting in judgment almost, isn't it? You're kind of like, they're almost up in the, <laughs> or what is the this witness it, box? Or <laughs> And there's obviously, this has been dealt with, but you know, how, what, what role as, as someone who is a parent myself and not wanting to make the mistakes of the father, but at the same time, mm. trying to live up to the father, that kind of thing, you just, uh, what is the right, right, right balance? Because obviously they hadn't pushed him. Would he have ever had the tennis career that he had? You know, I mean, well, that's... I mean that's and that's the kind of I think certainly was why tennis is a really interesting sport because it's it's a very lonely one in that respect. And um, you are out there on your own, 
and maybe you wouldn't choose that path yet, as you say, if you weren't pushed, I think, to become a great in that particular sport. Yeah. You have to, yeah, you have to start from a young age and you, you sacrifice a lot of youth and childhood probably to kind of, to, to, to get to that level. Um, and then I think as John found and even Bjorn Borg found a little bit, you kind of, you reach the pinnacle and then it's kind of, oh, I actually feel quite empty now. Like, you know, what's... Yeah. Right, what's right. left, and whereas your parents maybe, particularly if they're like your manager, they're going, "Okay, great, <laughs> like, let's keep going," and you're like, well, it's "Actually, I'm not sure I want to be doing this." So <laughs> right. that it's an age-old sporting kind of, yeah, yeah. I guess, warning, isn't it? Um, but it's, I'm not sure there is an answer really. I read somewhere, I can't claim this, but I read somewhere that um, sort of amateur sport is for you. You play, you know, for your own enjoyment, and then mm. when you elite elite sport is for the crowd and it's for the fans and it's less right. for yourself and i think that's quite an interesting perspective to have on it um you give up some of your own enjoyment um to be that to be that good almost which is a strange way to think of it but yeah well and that's and i think that's a very good point because your film raises that as well because when he gets to the top he's what number one for four years basically um you know he's at the pinnacle of his game but he's not happy right he's it, seemingly he yeah. says he says it himself i mean and then also i mean does he kind of i mean i think you're right people forget what a great tennis player he was but he, he probably but he must also have regret does he have regrets himself cuz he probably could have achieved more if you think in terms of grand slams and i also think wonder yeah. how much of this is because we've gotten to this era where the greats have 20 grand slam 20 or yeah. more grand slams when before that having the number he had was made you one of the one of the greatest of all times you know yeah i think that's a really good point um i think he f there's a, a subliminal feeling of that that he's not in the pantheon of as you say these these players now have won 20 25 and it's such a, a sort of business now and it's a kind of right. different sport and i think he does feel a little bit I say overlooked but i think maybe he gets a sense that actually people don't realize quite how good and not just him but some of the players were at that mm. time particularly on courts that were bumpy and they weren't you know there right. right. wasn't the even bounce particularly the grass courts that there are now so i definitely feel there's a sense of that mm. it's a funny one but i also feel like he feels you know maybe you know i lived you know he loves he loves the kind of the reflected glory of like being around rock stars and, you know, all that kind of, he loves yeah. all that. And maybe if he just sort of stayed in and, you know, right. strung his racket and that was that, um, <laughs> you know, he wouldn't have been, yeah, it wouldn't really have suited his personality. So I think all in all, he's come to the point where he's, he lived and enjoyed as much as he could off the court whilst, you know, achieving the pinnacle on the court. He was number one, as, as you say, for four years in a row. And, um, you know, and he did all that, and it didn't actually make him that that happy. So I think he going and enjoying the other aspects of life perhaps made him just as happy. But whether that's a little bit of um, yeah, sort of retroactive kind of fitting yeah. it to the way things go, I guess that's that's for everyone else to decide, really. But um, I definitely feel, and because I, I was not a big tennis aficionado, I was never like watched it in the summers you know when it would be right. at Wimbledon and what but never you know like really really deep into the game so I was surprised going back through the old old archive how good he was I think that's yeah. what yeah. that's what really actually struck me um and hopefully that comes across a bit more you know just 
just genuinely was a terrific player he was exactly. um you know so um yeah that was that was really sort of quite revelatory to me mm. in the process of it i think this is a good time to take a quick break so we'll be right back with uh, barney douglas the director of McEnroe, now on sky here in the uk you're listening to factual america subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on facebook instagram or twitter at alamo pictures to keep up to date with new releases or upcoming shows check out the show notes to learn more about the program our guests and the team behind the production now back to factual america Welcome back to Factual America. I'm here with Barney Douglas, the director of McEnroe. Premiered in 2022, has had its theatrical release, and now finally here on in the UK on Sky. Nominated for three sports Emmys, winning one. Barney, what's it like working with John McEnroe on a documentary? I mean, I just have this picture of someone turning to you saying, you're not doing it right, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, he's definitely challenging. There's no doubt about it. Um, He's a perfectionist, you know. Yeah. I mean, I remember we sent him what I felt was, I mean, pretty much the final cut. And he and his wife, Patty, watched and they were like, this is great. This is great. You know, now we need to make it Wimbledon champion. I was like, (laughs) what does that even mean? (laughs) Um, So, um, yeah, I was a bit frazzled after 18 months of of it. I think with John, I just think clear communication. I think we mentioned earlier, but clear communication um making him feel listened to but also at the same time you cannot be a a doormat either because he doesn't respect that (laughs) so you need to find a way where you don't pit your ego against him but you also don't become a walkover so yeah it was definitely challenging um but i kind of with john i think if he if he really hates something he will say it so if he wasn't saying there's no way I'm doing this and I would just carry on doing it. I mean, that's, that's kind of the way I, I, I approached it really. Um, and just, just tried to be clear and honest. Um, and if I disagreed with him, I would sort of present the evidence. I kind of, as I say, click, yeah. sort of realized pretty early on, he's very analytical and sharp and yeah. intelligent guy. Um, and he sniffs out anything that's BS. <laughs> that's sort of, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, <laughs> so I was sort of, okay, I, I know that. So I just need to be brave enough to kind of, yeah, just be pretty straight with him, really. And how do you, I mean, you talked about, we've we've already mentioned it and alluded to it a couple of times about how this is not this typical approach to a, a sports doc, certainly. But how did you decide to make that a, a you know, how do you go about making a, a what, what approach do you take making a doc about a tennis icon who's also someone who's sort of an, an anti-establishment hero for many and... You know, like I said, used to, she says, you can't, you know, you can't be serious yeah. <laughs> about, you know, <laughs> as, you know, and, and you can't take a standard talking head approach. Uh, did he well, laugh at you a, when yeah. you said you need to, what you we need to follow you along the streets of New York? Well, there was, you know, yeah, I mean, <laughs> there was a few challenges we had because as I mentioned, it, pandemic wise, that was restrictive, obviously. Um, there was also the fact that his career is very front loaded. So it kind of... Mm faded away so you don't have a natural sporting end point either of success or crashing and burning you know like there, right. there, there was kind of right. so there, there wasn't that arc to it so i felt like i needed to bring something to the table there and also just even from a financially practical perspective the cost of tennis archive was insane right. so it, to make a hundred percent archive film for example which is obviously quite a popular 
popular way of making sports True. docs recently um just just not affordable like just yeah. film wouldn't yeah. exist yeah. so you had to find a way to kind of incorporate modern filming as well um so i just latched on very early to this the link with the city the link with like the inside of his mind and also retracing what i felt was his journey through life from you know childhood in this douglaston sort of suburb of new york right to manhattan and then patty this lady that i feel like in some ways kind of saved his life a bit really as the sun rises you know so it gave you this right right this natural sort of sort of forced arc in that respect um and then disappear off to memory from there so i sort of pitched this to john over an extremely strong beer um (laughs) and uh i think it appealed to him in terms of it wasn't going to be a traditional sports film i think he wanted to feel like this was going to be a bit different and a bit special and a bit yeah Bit, you know just a bit more ambitious and and so i think it sort of ticked those boxes and but i don't think he quite understood until we sort of showed him some footage what 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 i meant really um and yeah i, I can tell you that the waiting for because we showed him cuts as we went along because i didn't want to be at a stage where he was suddenly like no, this is completely not what i imagined and right I'm, right I'm, I'm i'm quitting you know like right the, right right you've right. got to kind of so i've sort of wanted him to feel involved throughout so i would show him cuts as we went along and um and uh he um yeah and he sort of got it i think pretty quickly so um just let me keep going so i kept going <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then uh and then uh, um uh as you say it's not i mean your typical sports talk doesn't usually have uh you know animation tron like animation yeah. becomes a storytelling device how did that evolve again similar things like i kind of wanted to i wanted to to pay homage to these kind of 80s american films that i really loved growing up and mm. get it away from as we've mentioned what you might expect in a sports film and just make it a kind of a, a filmic journey really so there was yeah tron was a really good touch point and for me it felt great to try and do some animation from that perspective um and really get inside his head that way the sort of city at night there's a film called thief which i reference quite a lot which is about this michael mann film about this kind of loner guy who's kind of searching for meaning and that you know that felt very very similar and the kind of even down to the the palettes of these kind of neon blues that we use throughout the film Mm. i just wanted to make it a a visual feast as well as you know a kind of an intimate feeling portrait of this guy so i sort of just poured all those influences into it really um and just try to, as I say, make it feel like it sort of was kind of from that era. Um, right. So right. that was the the idea behind it all. And at the same time, he's had another great career in, in a way. He's he's uh, yeah. is an amazing sport uh, tennis commentator. I mean, he's he's iconic in that way for for another yeah. generation or two. Well, that's the thing. I mean, that was the one thing I sort of thought: is that something that we needed to kind of get in the in the film but i actually felt his his journey is like a his sporting journey and then as a kind of a man essentially right kind of done before then and yes he's a great commentator but it didn't feel like something that needed to be part of the the film but what it did present was an interesting challenge because he's used to speaking in interesting yeah repeat similar kind of uh phrases and all that kind of stuff so it was like okay that's just great for a broadcast but actually it wasn't quite the kind of um as i say introspective slightly slower kind of delivery i was after for the film so it was just another sort of slight challenge that you had to get through in the interview process to kind of get him out of those habits really um Mm -hmm. so but at the same time 
it means when you did need a kind of light-hearted quip or whatever he was he was right. very good at delivering them so you know work both ways really it reminds me of i mean i know people who do uh political docs and it's very similar you've got these they're used to speaking in sound bites and whatever and yeah. just repeating them over and over again and yeah then, it is how do you get to the real person you know yeah you've got that. to find back doors you've got to find yeah. questions that that i think they would not normally obviously be asked but also that would make them think immediately make them think in a different way you know like mm -hmm. a, a strange example for, for me but I, one of the things i kind of started a really good conversation with john was you know like what does love mean to him and it was something that he almost couldn't he'd never been asked that in his life so he was just <laughs> like he it didn't really compute and he really because he's very authentic he really committed to thinking about what right. it was and that obviously right. then set off a a sort of a conversation about yeah, yeah. T, but also his father and what he'd felt from him and then it opened up all these doorways to, to the answers and the kind of stuff that I was really looking for so it was challenging for me and I had to in the interview process I guess I had to yeah get better and learn and evolve right, and try and right. work out how to get 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 around the kind of as you say the sound bites of this guy but also try and get into him in a way that he'd never thought before he doesn't think yeah. like that so that was that was a, actually one of the fun fun parts of it yeah and and while I think about it, also, I just wanted to say, and it was some advice I got about another doc I watched recently, uh, to anyone who have, hasn't seen it and is going to check it out on Sky, def definitely use the biggest screen and best sound system you've got because yes. uh, because of the look and feel you give it. I'm glad I did. I, I, I We don't have a large TV in the house, but we have a certainly better than a laptop screen, you know, and it, yeah. and it, made, and it, and it HD and everything. And so it made a, made a it's, it's quite an evocative and... Um, artful film in the in the in the best sense especially yeah it's try to try ahead. to be immersive basically yeah exactly yeah. it's a way to put yeah. it yeah you know we really made it for the big screen and we were for that kind of sit there and really like just sink into it so i'm glad you were able to find a, <laughs> a big tv um because certainly some of the earlier stuff is obviously quite dark so like you're shooting right. through new york and and we did all that all in pretty much one one night and one go and we just went for it and you know jumped yeah. out the van and just kept going you know we didn't have yeah. a, it was literally me camera guy lucas um and uh and the producer paddy and 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 that that was it you know that whole film was pretty made but made probably by three three people so um mm -hmm. you know we kind of we just went for it so it's, it's definitely um yeah you know if you can avoid watching on a laptop be good if you've got a big screen at home that's that's definitely the way to do it yeah no i highly highly recommend it and and how did you become involved in this project i mean i know you have a, you know some background with cricket docs and other yeah things. well the last yeah the last film we did was the edge which is about the england cricket team and they're kind of there's a mental health aspect to that and everything. And that, that was, um, that was, that did pretty well. And the producer on, on that film, she was working with a, a company called Dogwoof in the UK that I'm sure right. you're familiar yeah. with. And, um, the McEnroe rights, I think were sitting there and they, I think there'd been previous attempts to make this documentary in the past and right. it all kind of crashed and burned because the relationships with John had been difficult yep. and all that kind of thing. So uh, Victoria Burrell, the producer, said, do you want to go and meet John? And would you be interested in directing, you know, trying to resurrect this film and do a new film and try and direct? And I was like, yeah, great. I mean, McEnroe, I knew the name. I knew, right, right. knew that he was obviously an angry tennis player. That was pretty much the extent of it. So um, I went to New York and, and met him and he, he answered the door or 
in his dressing gown. He'd been on a big <laughs> night out, I think, the night before. So that was one of the more surreal experiences of my short documentary career. Um, and I just, just, I don't know, I just kind of, I was used to dealing with sports, mm-hmm. I guess, egos and big, big players and stuff like that. So I kind of just said the kind of film that I was envisioning and um, mm-hmm. started the process there, really. And we just Zoomed quite a lot. We had chats and I got to know him. I just tried to build a... Mm-hmm of a relationship until he was like yeah okay let's, let's do this type of thing so that was it really it was just fortuitous i was in the right yeah. place but um i think sometimes yeah these things work out that maybe you look the right character for the right film you know at that at that particular time so well um, exactly because as you say yeah, others had tried started. <laughs> yeah no others had tried they didn't get certainly didn't get anywhere close to as far as you did i mean do you think that i mean do you think having knowledge but not really like it wasn't like you grew up a super fan or anything like that. You think that's yeah. helpful? I do think it's helpful. I wasn't in awe of him from that perspective. Um, and also I wasn't too caught up in, you know, the tennis. So I wasn't right. caught up in a particular point in a random right. game in 1983, you know, in right, right. in Detroit or something. It just right, wasn't right. my focus. And I right. think that really appealed to John because it's going to sound weird, but like, you know, he's bored of that. Like he's he's bored of... Yeah. That kind of thing. He knows, of course, that that there's elements of his story that to do with the mm-hmm. tennis that need to be dug into right. And, and, right. and presented. But I was very much about the humanity of him and actually presenting him as a, a shiny different lights on his personality rather than the, the stuff that's been sort of, I guess, mm-hmm. repeated ad infinitum over the last 25 years. So um, that appealed to him definitely. Um, so I think he was pleased that I wasn't just grilling him over various right. technical aspects of his game. <laughs> right. The the 84 French Open versus Lendl and all that kind of... I mean, no, well, you, you, it's in there, but obviously you had to show that. But yeah, you're not yeah. getting fixated I, on any one point, you know. No, you're trying like to that. do it from a... Exactly. Yeah. I, I was yeah. trying to make those big sporting moments mean something else. You know, yeah. what's the what, yeah. what else is... How what, a different angle can you come at this from? And that's... That, as I say, I think appealed to him definitely. Um, and we talked music, and we talked, yeah. you know, influences and bands and all that kind of stuff. So I just think maybe he just felt like I was somebody that he could yeah. get along with, and maybe I was giving him a bit more time to understand him and listen to him, maybe than he'd experienced previously. But um, there's still, to begin with, obviously there was that slight, you know, concern. He doesn't necessarily differentiate between a filmmaker and a a journalist yep. from Dunn, for example. So, like, right, right, right. you know, I think to begin with, he had to sort of get past that and realize that mm. we had a different different relationship. Yeah. And so it appealed to him. I think it's it it's certainly appealing to a larger audience. It's definitely a film worth worth checking out. Uh, we're actually uh, coming to the end of our time. I just was going to ask one last question, if I may. Uh, what's next for you? Uh Good question. Um, I have got a couple in development at the moment. One's a kind of more environmental mm. sort of angled documentary. It's a hybrid doc, so it's quite. It's going to be quite another sort of leap into the unknown. Um, right. But I'm really, really excited about that. There's another project with Dogworth as well that I'm working on, uh, which I can't say anything about yet. Which I'm, which I'm excited about. In fact, there's three. There's three that I'm working on. None of which I can say the names of yet. You guys but, never can say anything about. I know. Well, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, documentary is an interesting landscape because um, 
when I first started, I felt like it was quite a democratic kind of place to be. If you could find a story and earn mm. the trust of whoever it was about, then you could, you know, you were in a position to make the film. But it's obviously exploded as a, a genre, for want of a better word. And right. um, it's, it, you know, big companies, big studios, all that kind of stuff are competing yeah, for these yeah. for these stories. So it's, it's a yeah, it's a tricky tricky landscape so sometimes you have to keep them a bit closer but i promise you once once it's further down the road i'm very happy to chat to you about them well i would love to have you on again it was great yeah, having you it. on really really appreciate it barney but we just no remind our listeners we've been here with uh, barney douglas the director of McEnroe. it's now on sky here in the uk i'm sure you can stream it elsewhere if you're anywhere else in the world and uh Yes, nominated for three sports Emmys and won one. So thanks again, Barney. It's been great chatting with you and uh, look forward to having you on again. Take care. Lovely. Thanks very much. All right. See ya. We hope you enjoyed that episode of Factual America. If you did, please remember to like us and share us with your friends and family, wherever you happen to listen or watch podcasts. I would also like to thank those who make this podcast possible. A big shout out to Sam and Joe at Intersound Audio in York, England. A big thanks to Amy Ord, our podcast manager at Alamo Pictures, who makes sure we continue getting great guests onto the show and everything runs smoothly. And finally, a big thanks to you, our listeners. Many of you have been with us for four incredible seasons. Please keep sending us feedback and episode ideas, whether it is on YouTube, social media, or directly by email. This is Factual America, signing off. You've been listening to Factual America. This podcast is produced by Alamo Pictures, specializing in documentaries, television, and shorts about the USA for international audiences. Head on down to the show notes for more information about today's episode, our guests, and the team behind the podcast. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Alamo Pictures. Be the first to hear about new productions, festivals showing our films, and to connect with our team. Our homepage is alamopictures.co.uk.